How many times have you rewatched or rehashed the second half of the AFC title game? Yeah, so we've gone back through it. Um, I've gone back through it on my own. But it's been in all our cut-ups, so uh, we've had a chance to, to look at all that. Yeah. Vito and trying to watch as much film on quarterbacks, not only just in my division, um, but just all the teams that we play. You know, start from the AFC East to the AFC West. I'm studying film. Um, I had those dreams from when you were a kid. I mean, like, I'm going to be an NFL player, and I'm going to win a Super Bowl. And for me, I have, I have unfinished business on that front. I've been to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. We're one play away. It's like, well, I need to finish that. Oh my golly, if I'd only known we could have wore backward baseball caps today and said hi to these fellow kids. Hello, how are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? It would have been nice to do, but I don't know how we'd look like that, though. <laughs> well, I saw some interesting pictures of you this weekend. No baseball caps on backward. A cowboy hat or two. Congratulations, though. Your daughter, Sydney, married on Saturday. Well done. Absolutely great. I got a big kick out of the photo, the, the photo booth with your son giving Chris Sims' favorite gesture, the New Jersey State bird, to anyone who may be watching. That was some good stuff. I don't know. We may have. There it is. There it is. is. Listen, he was just getting his inner Kyrie Irving out, you know, and just just kind of showing the world that. And now, listen, me in that picture, I'm Uh mid-blink, if if that's what you want to believe. Sure. I'm (laughs) mid-blink. The father of the bride was overserved. I think that's the caption on that photo. <laughs> it's okay. I paid for it, so it's all right. I can I over, basically right. I overserved myself. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, and uh, your 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 wife Christine doing a great job, going all out. Looks like it was a great time. Uh, the New England Patriots are planning a wedding, uh, which is uh, yeah. Hey, look at that. It's well done. Well done. Um, well, listen. So, that, that's what she how, said. Yeah, yeah. How dare you? How dare you? have a wedding on the same night as the USFL debut. How dare you? What poor planning on your part. Those people wanted to watch that game. They wanted to go to Birmingham and attend that game. Listen, the amount of people, Mike, that had their, their phones set to watch that during the reception, <laughs> it was unbelievable. When I was doing the Father of the Bride speech, like nobody was paying attention to me. They were, all watch- they were watching the drone picture. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, well, congratulations, though. It looks Thanks. like it was a great Thanks. weekend, and all the best yeah. to Sydney and her new husband. Where, where's the honeymoon? Where are they at? They, they are literally on their way right now to Hawaii for 10 days. So they got, uh, we were all laid out yesterday recovering, and they're on a plane now to Hawaii. So good for them. Well, that's great. Well, congratulations. And uh, I, I wish the show was shorter than an hour because you probably still are feeling the effects of the weekend. All right, uh, let's get to it. Denzel Ward (laughs) overserved tonight as he celebrates his new contract, a five-year extension with the Cleveland Browns worth $100.5 million. That's $20.1 million per year. Now, look, we've learned by now. You get the original number. You get the truth later. The the truth is still trying to put its pants on as to what the deal is really worth. But still, it's a contract for the guy who was the fourth overall pick, the Johnny, not the Johnny Manziel year, although same end result for the Browns, the Baker Mayfield year of 2018. Uh, And I remember there's a lot of talk about maybe Bradley Chubb going to the Browns instead, but Ward has worked out and he gets his reward. Yeah, he, he, he has worked out. Uh, so, and he came in in 18, like you said, made the Pro Bowl in 18, made the Pro Bowl in 21, two out of his four years. So, you know, he's, he's earned this. And so what's happening now, Mike, as we see, we already set the new mark. Uh, we already saw a new mark set for the wide receivers, so much so that you got Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown and Terry McLaurin now holding out of OTAs. Oh, no, OTAs. They're not going to be there. I mean, seriously. So we'll, we'll get to that. But now you have Denzel Ward setting the new mark 
for DBs, right? We already see who's next in line at the wide receiver position. We're throwing DK Metcalf as well to that. Now you look at DBs. So we had Jalen Ramsey up there, but now Denzel Ward. This is what's happening. We talk about it at the quarterback position all the time. But now the other positions, I mean, are taking jumps. The wide receiver position has taken a huge jump. And now Denzel Ward has taken the jump for the cornerback. So every other cornerback, especially the young ones, are looking at it and saying, okay, you know, here's where the market is now reset to this position if I play well enough. And he has played well enough to now set that mark. So this has been one of the interesting things in the offseason to me. Not only a good signing, I like the pick then. I like what he meant. he's meant for that team. I like where the team is going. We still have to wait from a football aspect. Again, with the Deshaun Watson situation, what's happening, how much time he'll miss from a football situation I'm talking about. I like that defense. But like I said, overall, we have now seen this happen to a couple positions in the NFL where, where the new high has been set and the new kind of market been set for these different positions and I think it's great that players are making this money there will be some fans who get more and more and more resentful and the reality is we have full transparency as to what the players make we never really hear what the owners make and our good friend Peter King pointed out earlier that before too long there's going to be a 100 million dollar a year quarterback or three my response is there's going to be a one billion a year owner or three or all of them, but we don't have access to that paperwork. But the revenue is shared, so the boats are rising. And let's not get mad at the players, folks out there who are like, I can't believe he's not worth that money. He is worth that money or somebody wouldn't be paying it to him. Right. And for every dollar that gets paid to him, there's a dollar that's going into the team's pocketbook. Oh, it's a, listen, it's exactly right. I don't, I don't think there's any – if there's a person turning the game off because they think a player is making too much or a person not going to the game anymore, there's 10 people to take his place. People are still going to watch. They may be disgusted. It's billionaires and millionaires battling, especially when there's a strike that, you know, we've all been through. At the end of the day, people come back and they watch. You know, you're right. We don't know what the owner's – make individually but we know it's a 16 billion dollar year business that's revenue shared between them and then the players get a chunk of that as well out of the revenue so that, that that's all we need to know there are billionaires and there are millionaires now not every player again but but close you're close because the minimum is five hundred thousand dollars so everybody is doing okay some way better than others because yeah it, it's when when the salary cap goes up that means the money is going up in the NFL. You know, it's, it's in a great spot right now. And when it is like that, everybody should be making all the money that they can. And that's what these players are doing right now. I was doing some rough math over the weekend. If it just goes up 10% a year each of the next few years, it's going to crack $300 million by 2026. We're getting yeah. there. And so that money goes to the players. And, yeah, the highest-paid players are going to make more and more and more money, and the owners are going to make more and more and more money. And I'll say this. I've seen plenty of super yachts, all of them owned by owners, none of them owned by players. So, uh, And that probably will continue, although at the rate it's going, who knows. One of the guys who has gotten paid this offseason, Mike, you mentioned how the receiver market is going up and up. The Chiefs decided, number one, they didn't want to pay Tyreek Hill, and number two – They were happy to take all that stuff they could get for him from the Dolphins who were willing to both pay him and give up five draft picks to get him. Here's Andy Reid on the commencement of the Chiefs offseason program talking about how he kept his two most important offensive players, not named Tyreek Hill, specifically Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, in the loop as they worked through their issues with their former star receiver. I kept it uh, myself and Brett kept it wide open with Patrick um, as part of playing that position. Uh, there's a pretty good chance there, there's change going to take place uh, throughout your career. And so um, that, that's, that's all part of it. Um, and, and so, and, you know, I also mentioned it to Kels just so, so he had a heads up on it too. Just, I mean, those guys are, are very close and, the three of them and have had a lot of production for us. So, um, but it's important that they, they, they see that part of it. That's part of this game and, and uh, change does take place. So, uh, and, and I think uh, you, you know, I, 
you beat around the bush on it. I don't think that's good either. I'm, I'm kind of upfront and this is what it is. And this is the plan going forward. Yeah, I mean, obviously my initial reaction uh, was a little bit of shock. I mean, even though you, you knew that this was a possibility, um, just the play of the guy that you've played and built a friendship with over the last uh, six years, um, it, it definitely was something that you didn't, you didn't want him to leave more for the just being able to hang out in the locker room and do that stuff than the actual on-the-field stuff. Um, but you're happy for him, man. I mean, he, he got a great contract. Obviously, he's back uh, where he has a house in the offseason around a lot of his family and stuff like that. Um, and I, I wish the best for him. And then for me, it was just, it was just we got to keep rolling. That's just kind of how it is in this league. Is It's a business as much as it is about um, your friendships and stuff like that. And so uh, we, we know that in order to – to have success in this league, you have to keep evolving and keep getting better. And so uh, I got with those these new receivers as quickly as possible and try to build that so that we could have success right when we get going this year. So it makes it even more amazing, Mike, when you think about Andy Reid telling Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey that, that this could happen. And Drew Rosenhaus, the agent for Tyree Kill, had permission to contact every team, and he did, and he negotiated with 12, and – and this was just kind of happening, and no one said a word about it to anyone. That, to me, is more yeah. amazing than the fact that the trade even happened, that we didn't find out about it until basically it was done that morning. We get one report, well, it's going to be the Jets or the Dolphins, and then five minutes later, well, it's going to be the Dolphins, and that's it. That was it, out of nowhere. That, that's amazing to me. But, you know, one of the things Reed said early makes a lot of sense. From Patrick Mahomes' perspective, he's going to outlive Tyree Kill as an NFL player. He's going to cycle through two, three, four Tyree kills by the time he's done. It's just something he has to accept that at some point Hill was going to be gone and Mahomes was going to still be there. So, Mike, how it is every year when your team season ends and you go in that locker room and get those boxes and clean out your locker, you know that that group of people that are in that locker room will not be the same the next year. Every single year... You're in the NFL. It's going to change. And the, the only thing is going to be, who is it going to be? Who's going to be gone? I'd pack mine up. I might be gone. The guy next to me might be gone. You don't know who's going to, go on, but going to be gone. But what you said is right. Mahomes is going to outlive everybody. And Mahomes said it best. It's a business. And we just talked about the money for now the cornerbacks. But we know the wide receivers. Guys are going to get theirs. Listen, you're allowed to try and make as much money as you want. That's the way it can work. If that's what you want to do, more power to you. And that's what he did. So you start to re you know, evolve somewhere else. But you bring in, like they brought in a Juju Smith-Schuster, Marquez Valdez-Scantling uh, from the Packers and from Pittsburgh with Schuster, like I said. You lose Tyreek. You lose Pringle, who when he was asked to step in in Kansas City, did a nice job. I believe he went to the Bears. So this happens every year, and it's going to continue to happen when a team like Kansas City, because of the people they're paying says we have x amount now we can pay once it's above that we know we have to move on and we know that's the way it goes so Mahomes has other wide receivers to throw to uh still has Kelsey obviously to throw to which helps and you just make sure you're short up in all your other areas but this is the business not of just football this is a business of all sports and players if they don't understand that, need to understand that. And, you know, that's one of the biggest differences I found in college and pro. The rah-rah of college, even though it's more business now than it's ever been. And when you get to the pros, this is truly, truly a job. This is truly a business that you just can't take personal. It's hard to do, but you have to try as hard as you can not to and make it a business and make sure you take care of you. And it is a reminder that there are very few players in the NFL today or really in any offseason that can't be traded and won't be traded. Trading right. Tyree Kill shows that 95 or more percent of all players can go like that without warning, literally, as we saw with Tyree Kill. The offense without Hill, something you mentioned, something Andy Reid addressed today. Here's his view on how the offense will change or not without Tyree Kill. I don't think it'll be significantly different. It'll be similar to what we did when, when in the games that Tyreek couldn't play in. Um, you know, we just you know, there are certain things that he did did very well um, uh, that 
we'll have people try to, to fill in those spots, but uh, without forcing anything. We normally, what we do on this is we try to play to the player's strengths uh, the best we can. So we'll see with the new, with some of the new guys, what they can do. And, and then um, you know, we'll work around that. One nice thing is we know what McColl can do and uh, we have a lot of confidence in what he can do. He, he was coming off a good year and, um, and he's going to continue to grow here over the next couple of years. So we, uh, but McColl has the speed um, uh, like a Tyreek had, uh, different player, but like Tyreek had. But he, he gives you a nice skill set there with the, with the speed and quickness and ability to run when the ball is in his hands. He's very aggressive runner when he, when he has the ball in his hands. So you find ways uh, to do that in a variety of different ways. You may have noticed Andy Reid slowed down a little bit there when he was talking about McCole Hardman improving yeah. over the next couple of years because he's only signed for this year. So you <laughs> right. don't want to say too much about what you're planning to do when you know there's a guy out there who's saying, well, Coach, I'm your top option now, and receivers are getting paid a lot of money, so where's mine? But it sounds like they plan to keep him around. And I love Andy Reid, but there's something to me that justifies the captain obvious outfit for him when he says – that our offense without Tyreek Hill is going to look a lot like it did in the games when Tyreek Hill didn't play. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's, yes, we will play without Tyreek Hill the way that we have played without Tyreek Hill. Thank you for that insight. I love that. But, you know, listen, in my eyes, Andy Reid's a Hall of Fame coach. Andy Reid's been oh, in this absolutely. game a I long, love the guy. a long, long time he's been around, and you see changes. So what worked with Tyreek Hill – and I mentioned, he mentions Hardman. I mentioned a couple of the other guys they're bringing in. May not work with the other guys. They may not draw the coverage that Tyreek Hill did. So you see what the coverage draws. You see what these guys do. And you call plays around that. Andy's right. I mean, as I said, this happens every year. I mean, do we all of a sudden think the Kansas City offense is going to go in the tank? Listen, you're losing a monster player. You're losing a guy who drew two, two guys in coverage, who drew a, a big coverage over the top that would open up the middle. I get it. But you just find other ways to attack. You know, and you do lose that big playability that every time he touches the ball, whether it's on a slant or a go route, that he can score. You know, that he has the ability to do that. So you do lose that. There's no doubt you lose that. But you just try and gain it in other areas or attack in other ways. It's just another year, another change, and how do we adjust our offense? The offense isn't going to change, but the offense will have to adjust. Yeah, absolutely. And they're going to have to develop some compliments to Travis Kelsey. He's now the most important player in the passing game. And they've got draft picks they can use. That's right. an area where Andy Reid did not tip his hand because they got a couple of first-round picks. The Packers have a couple of first-round picks. The Packers are clearly looking to upgrade, given the trade of Dante Adams. The Chiefs looking to upgrade, giving the trade of Tyree Kill. Here's a little more from Andy Reid on the play of Patrick Mahomes, who had the bad toe in 2020 after he had run all over the place because the offensive line wasn't as good as it needed to be. Here's Reid on Patrick Mahomes staying and playing in the pocket. Patrick, uh, every time we, we talked about what he's working on in the offseason, it seems to always be the, the pocket presence, seems to really have a knack for throwing on the run. That's a work in progress. How much are you trying to focus year by year on, on transitioning to him in a pocket first passer, and how, how is that coming along? Yeah, so, I mean, it, it's hard to um, tell you something like that, Pete, because he's been so successful doing it the way um, that it's worked out and we've kind of built some things in there for him along with that um, to do his strengths. And, um, you know, you end up having an offense that was one of the top offenses in the league. You start looking at third down, you're the top third down team. You start looking at reds, all the critical situations. And he's, you know, he's done really well in those areas. So um, you don't want to change too much. Um, He's always going to work on his timing and with the routes and the receivers, and he's doing that now, um, and all the fundamentals that go with it. That's the one thing you appreciate about him. He's always trying to get better at those things. So, uh, but it, moving around in the pocket and doing that, you, you're 
he's he's been very successful at that. It puts a lot of pressure on defenses. You know, one of the realities early in Patrick Mahomes' career, he was always looking for the home run. He was always looking for Tyree Kill down the field. And as teams work to take that away, Mike, it forced Patrick Mahomes to be patient. And it seems like it took a while for him to process that. Now without Tyree Kill, and look, you can talk yourself into just about anything. But, and I think it's better to have Tyree Kill than not have him. But to the extent that they think Mahomes could be even more effective in an offense that isn't constantly infatuated with getting the ball 50 yards down the field like that, Maybe it's better for Mahomes over the long haul. See, Unless the and until they find a guy who can play like Hill did, then they'll right, gladly take right. it. But here's the thing. Most plays, the quarterback is supposed to be in the pocket. They're a pocket passer. Unless you're doing complete bootlegs or half rolls where you're now setting up a roll, which is now going to half the field, most plays are meant from being thrown in the pocket. And then there's a reason he's moving. Either somebody's not open, he realizes his guy needs more time, so he starts to slide a little bit, but plays are meant to be thrown from the pocket. So how much do you want to change that out of Mahomes? He knows it's supposed to be from the pocket, and if the timing's there, he'll release the ball. Look what happened with Josh Allen in Buffalo. The end of his rookie year, he was running all over the place, and everyone was like, oh, my God, look at this guy run. Well, the next year in Buffalo, they're like, man, we don't want you running so much. You know, that's going to end your career quicker. And then he just started to stay in the pocket a little more. When are they at their best? When Josh Allen is doing Josh Allen things. And that means every now and then tucking the ball and running. If they ever are to win a Super Bowl, it's not going to be Josh Allen standing seven deep and rifling a ball, though that will be a big part of it. It's also he is going to run the ball because he's dangerous with it. So you got to be real careful to say, uh, you know, Pat, don't don't run out of that pocket. If it's not there, throw the ball away. That's not Mahomes. You have guys the way they play. You can't take too much away from that. You know, you can't tell Lamar Jackson, stop running. You can't tell that to Kyler Murray or any other mobile quarterback out there. You can't say, don't do it. You can say, be more careful when you're doing it. Know when the journey is over. Get down. Get out of bounds. Whatever it is, these young quarterbacks that that can run as well do the same thing. But everybody understands you make a living from the pocket, and any anything else that you become successful at outside the pocket, that is just gravy. But I sure as hell am not going to change a whole lot of way of things. Patrick Mahomes is doing things. That's for sure. You know, Mike, there's a line of demarcation in my mind between the very best quarterbacks and the next level. And the very best quarterbacks are the ones who can make something happen when the play that's called doesn't work. And that's where the mobility comes into play. Not just taking off and running down the field. Right. Buying time with your feet, with your eyes, with your instincts, with everything you've studied on film. Not just how a guy makes the first move around the edge, but what a guy's tendencies are once he's grasped at air and the quarterback's gone, which way does he usually spin? Where is he going to be? How do I weave through traffic and make a play happen that wasn't the play that was drawn up? It's just backyard football at that point. Those are the best quarterbacks. That's Josh Allen. That's Patrick Mahomes. That's Aaron Rodgers. I mean, truly yes. the best of the best can make that happen. And, and the, you know, the Kirk Cousins of the world are the ones, frankly, and I'm sorry to pick on you, Kirk, but you're getting paid a lot of money, so you should take it. You know, when it all falls apart, he's done. It's over. Play's over. If the play that's called doesn't work, it's done. So that's what you don't want to take away from Mahomes, but you don't want to rely on it excessively or you end up with turf toe that is so bad you need surgery three days after the Super Bowl because you've barely been hanging on with this aggravated tendon because you've run from your life. I think in that Super Bowl game was the most he ran all year long trying to buy time because the offensive line wasn't giving him time in the pocket. There's a difference of running and a difference of running, getting out of the pocket and still trying to make the play down the field. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that name. You said it. Aaron Rodgers is so good at it. And let me tell you as a defense, when a quarter, that's why as, as a defensive line, we were so schooled to not let the quarterback out of the pocket. You know, but we see these guys escape, whether it's to the outside, whether it's up in the pocket or then to the outside. When they escape, let me tell you, as a defense, everybody go is going, uh-oh. Only it's not, uh-oh, they're saying. It's a whole lot worse than, uh-oh. Because now, 
your back seven is asked to cover more. And it's worked on by all these offenses. When your quarterback escapes the pocket, now what you need to do to try and get open for him. So that is the danger. And I'm not saying you live off that. Again, I will always say everything starts from the pocket. Because if you can throw from the pocket, and oh, by the way, then, make a play outside the pocket. And then, oh, by the way, if you want to add another thing to it, be a dangerous runner. Now now you got the package, right? But it all starts from being able to throw in the pocket. And there was a quarterback a decade ago who did all of that. And I vividly recall, Mike, and you were in the middle of this meat grinder at ESPN back in 2013 when Ron Jaworski declared that Colin Kaepernick may end up being the best quarterback who ever played. And that spun the cycle for like three days. I mean, it was everywhere, the aftermath of Ron Jaworski making that declaration. So here we are. We all know the story about what happened with Kaepernick. He's been out of the league for five years. He's decided this year, for whatever reason, that he's making his last, maybe best opportunity to get back in. Here he is from the I Am Athlete podcast on, on, on what he would say to a GM and playing the role of GM, former NFL receiver Brandon Marshall. Here's a listen. Remember Carmelo Anthony, NBA. Can Carmelo Anthony go from being Carmelo Anthony and being coming off the bench? Can he take league minimum, right? Are you willing to be, do what Carmelo Anthony did if an opportunity presented itself today and they said, we want to bring you in as the backup? Would you take that? Yeah. You'll take that. If an opportunity- I, I know I have to find my way back in. Okay. So, yeah, if I have to come in as a backup, that's fine. But that's not, where I'm, that's not where I'm staying. And when I prove that I'm a starter, I want to be able to step on the field as such. I just need that opportunity right. to walk through the door. Right. <laughs> if you had a message for GMs and owners and you wanted them to know anything right now, what would you say? Let's role play. Talk to me. I'm the GM. <laughs> Come on, come on. You're doing method acting? Yeah, come on, come watch this. Because I'm the GM. Let's play it. Let's hey, go. We got you here today. So, let me come in and compete. I mean, you, you have your roster. You had a team. Let me come in and compete, show you what I can do. Well, Cap, you know, you know, football, it's all about eliminating distractions. Like, how do I know if I bring you in and I sign you that you're going to make my locker room better, that you're going to bring us together? One, you can know by experience. My coach, Jim Harbaugh, spoke to it. My coach, Chip Kelly, spoke to it and said that I made the locker room better. I came in, I prepared, I made the team better. That 2016 season, my last year, my teammates voted me the most courageous and inspirational player. So when you're talking about the people that are actually in the building, that has never come out that I've been a distraction. It's never come out that I've been an issue from the people I played with. Cap, can I keep it real with you, Cap? This is between you and I. Don't tell nobody. $16 billion industry, Cap. What about our fan base? What do we say to our fan base? Like, how, like what are they going to say? I say you have and racism in the back of your end zone. You got Black Lives Matter on your helmet. Mm. <laughs> Everything I've said should be in alignment with what you're saying publicly. <laughs> it's a $16 billion business. When I, first, when I first took a knee, my jersey went to number one. When I did the deal with Nike, their value increased by $6 billion. $6 billion. With a B. Mm. <laughs> with a B. With a B. So, we acting. Come on, stay in mode. Talk, 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 hey, talk you, man. You broke character. <laughs> you broke character. <laughs> talk so, that talk. So, if you're talking about the business side, mm. it makes sense. It shows beneficial. Yeah. <laughs> if you're talking about the playing side, come in, let me compete. You can evaluate me from there. The NFL is supposed to be a meritocracy. Come in, let me compete. If I'm not good enough, get rid of me. But let me come in and show you. You know, the bottom line is we can argue, we can debate, we can discuss the merits, the pros, the cons. But in early 2017, Colin Kaepernick was still good enough to be on a team. The NFL, in my estimation, Mike, and I welcome all viewpoints on this, but my estimation, it's very simple. The NFL made a business decision that it had to make, and it's a business. What a shocker. It makes decisions, and it decided that its business interests were best served by not having Colin Kaepernick on a team than by having him 
on a team because there was a cluster of fans who were going to huff and puff and blow part of the house down if Colin Kaepernick was still in the NFL. So that became a third rail. That became a point of contention. You had John Mara, the Giants co-owner at the time, talk about the number of, of angry letters he received from fans about the issue of players taking a knee during the anthem. And Colin Kaepernick was the guy who started it all. He was the first one to do it. He made the other players aware of their rights to do it whenever they wanted to do. He sparked the movement, and he was the name and the face that the 30% or so of the fans decided they were going to hate no matter what. They were never going to understand why he did it. They were never going to reconcile his reasoning. They weren't going to accept it. And the NFL just decided it's not worth it to us. We are going to listen to that percentage of the fan base that desperately wants us to not keep him around. So they, they didn't keep him around. And I say that just – I'm trying to be realistic. I don't know why anything would change now. What team is going to do business with Colin well, Kaepernick five years after this started? Nobody's going to. Nothing's changed. Well, well, let's understand when you say NFL, we mean owners. And just right. like when we talked about – the uh, Brian Flores, a lawsuit, and you asked me, how is it going to change? You know, the Rooney Rule is not being enacted correctly. How is it all going to change? I said, when each one of those 31 owners, and again, not 32 because of the Packers and the publicly owned, looks in the mirror and decides they want to change or the, the, whoever they hand the team off to changes their way of thinking. That's when it changes. So let's apply that to Colin Kaepernick. You know, Colin Kaepernick, first when he wanted to come back a while ago, was like he still wanted $20 million. That was never going to happen. Then it was the league set up this kind of tryout for him, which he balked at and did his own thing. So there was always butting heads. He had, he had said a lot of things about the NFL. One of them was, what, what, you know, they treat players like slaves. It's like slavery. He had said a lot of bad things about the NFL. So while they were in that podcast, I didn't hear it all, but did as they were role-playing, that's what a GM or, or a coach or probably GM or an owner is going to ask. What has changed your mind about our league that you said all those things about our league? And again, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just talking from the owner's viewpoint here. They're, they would ask, what has changed? With you saying what you thought our league was and why it was so bad, now all of a sudden you want to play. What's changed? So I'd like to, I'm sure they would want to hear his answer about that, whatever it would be. And it may be you have end racism at the end of the back of the end zone and Black Lives Matter. Maybe he sees things going in the right direction. Because, listen, this is not a difficult, from a football standpoint, he is not going to ask for 20 mil. He said he'd be a backup. If he got offered league minimum somewhere, I would, I'm pretty sure he would take it because it really seems like now he wants to get back in the league. So from that side of it, let's not kid anybody. That's not a hard decision for some team to say, I don't know, defer a veteran, what's league minimum, 750? It will bring you in on that. That's the easy part. But do, does the owner want to bring him in and create whatever that would create? And I don't know what it would create at this point. But you said it earlier, and you're right. They don't want to do that anymore. They're afraid to do it. Uh, they, they've been rubbed the wrong way, too much headbutting with this, to want to do it again. I don't know where his skills are. Listen, let's be honest. To think he's been out of the league five years and come in and recapture anything he did would be a very difficult thought. But from his standpoint, what he said... Give it a shot. Bring me as a backup. What do you have to lose? If, I, if it's not happening, just cut me. So from a, the football side of it, Mike, it is very easy for a team to say, okay, here's a minimum contract. Come on in, you're the backup, and let's see what happens. But we all damn well know there's a lot of other reasons that these owners will not offer him a contract. And, Mike, he's not blameless in all of this. I believe no. that it's possible to think he was wronged, but that at times he was not making the best decisions on how to convince right, people that he was in the right. And there had been questions of whether he wants to play football or whether he wants to be a martyr, whether he likes the role that he had fallen into once he was shunned by the NFL. Did he want too much money? We didn't hear him come out and say, I'll take a minimum salary job at any nope. point in the last five years. And the thing that happened in 2019 with the workout, I mean, I'll boil it down very simply. I think both sides were grossly at fault in how they tried to haggle over a release that was intended 
to protect the NFL against any liability for any injury that he may have suffered. And Kaepernick's camp looked at it as they're trying to get him to sign a waiver of any lingering claims he may have for retaliation or collusion after the first settlement because he still could have and to this day could still file another claim. And I don't think there was good faith on both sides in working that out. I think both sides wanted to blame the other, and it became a political stunt. It became a PR game. So there has been fault on both sides. And even today, Mike, even today, because, look, I've been – I, I've been very firm in my belief that the NFL has screwed Colin Kaepernick, but I also believe that there are things he could have handled differently. There, there's a quote today. He says that he'll take whatever he has to do to get back in. If I have to come in as a backup, that's fine, but that's not where I'm staying. When I prove that I'm a starter, I want to be able to step back on the field. There's a heavy presumption in there that he's going to prove he's a starter. What if he believes he's proven it and the team hasn't? And I remember back when Tim Tebow had to decide, am I going to be a backup quarterback? Teams didn't want him around as a backup quarterback. You know why? Because the Tebow maniacs would have been demanding that he play. So that's the other side of this. If Colin Kaepernick comes through the door saying, I will humble myself to be a backup. But you know what? The minute I prove you I'm the starter, I better be playing. That's not what coaches and GMs are looking to hear either. They, they don't want the player deciding when it's time for him to start. And then his supporters who are going to get louder and louder and louder. That's the kind of distraction that I think coaches and GMs rightfully should be trying to avoid. Where you have outside voices or inside voices trying to tell you what the best decision is for your team. So when I heard that today, I thought... If I was thinking about this right now, I would at least want to peel that onion a little bit more to see what he's really saying there. And nobody wants to. Nobody wants to peel that onion. Right now, nobody thinks the juice is worth the squeeze, right? I mean, they they just don't. As I said, you can look at it strictly from a football standpoint and say, eh, what do you got to lose? But to bring up what you said. So how long into it will he think, I'm the better player here, I should be the starting quarterback, and if he's not made the starting quarterback, what happens then? You know, that that's what owners are fearful of. They don't know what the reaction will be. Because I agree with you. Through this whole thing, bo- both sides are at fault. But So put that aside for a moment, and here we are. So here we are now with a guy who is basically saying, I'll come back. Man, I'm, I'm ready to come back. Just give me a chance. And and I think a lot of owners just looking at their watches and saying, man, A, been too long. B, we just do not know. We can't kind of foresee what's going to go on here. So the thought that he will return and be a great quarterback is not great enough in their minds to say that it will probably be more to the other side of it, that he won't be, maybe won't be a starting quarterback, maybe will, but then they have decisions to make and what goes on all in between that. And nobody wants to take the chance. Again, to them, the juice is not worth the squeeze. I'll be stunned if it happens, Mike, because to make it happen, a bridge will have to be built that is incapable of being built. That bridge has been blown to smithereens. The only chance would have been if Jim Harbaugh had become the head coach of the Vikings. Because Harbaugh believes in him. Harbaugh has told me in the past that you will win championships with an S with Colin Kaepernick. Now, that was five years ago. But I, I... you look at what he did for him recently at the Michigan spring game. I think Harbaugh would have given him a shot in Minnesota. And I reported a couple of weeks ago that actually when Harbaugh interviewed with the Vikings, Kaepernick was listed as a potential quarterbacks coach if and when he's done with his playing career, that that's what Harbaugh feels about him as a football mind who could help groom a young quarterback. So uh, if Harbaugh ever gets back in to the NFL, that may be the path for Kaepernick either as a player or as an assistant coach. And that would be great if it happened. Yeah, but real quick, Mike, what was the one team that flirted with him a couple times? That was the Seahawks, right? Seattle kind of flirted and kind of talked about it. And now, look, they traded away Russell Wilson. It's not like they have their quarterback in the future on their team, right? So if there was ever a time, it's the same head coach there, same GM there, right? And they flirted with this, and now they don't have Russell Wilson anymore. If there was ever a time for that flirtation to grow, you would think it would be now – And we've heard nothing. Unless, and look, I love Pete Carroll too, and I don't mean to preface every potential insult by saying I love a guy uh, (laughs) under that standard. Under that standard, I would love many people. But, (laughs) but, but, (laughs) But I think I think that this is just another example of somebody in the NFL willing to stand up and say, hey, hey, this guy's a starter in this league. Hey, hey, everybody, 
hey, look, this guy, this guy deserves a spot like Pete Carroll did five years ago. Well, okay, Pete, how about you give him a job? Oh, no, 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 no. somebody else, somebody else, not us. And that's how it works, I think, with the hiring of black coaches. Hey, we need to do this. This is the right thing to do. Uh, Well, so are you hiring a black coach? No, but somebody else should. And, and, and I think that that's been part of the problem as well. So, but we're, we're on the same page here. I, 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 I will be absolutely flabbergasted and flummoxed if Colin Kaepernick ends up back in the NFL at this point. It will yep, require something to happen that five years later, if it didn't happen after George Floyd was killed, it didn't happen right. in now. There's no I reason agree. for it to just organically happen now other than Colin Kaepernick's thinking this is my last best chance to get back in. He's 34 years old or close to it. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. we got plenty more to come and not much time to do it in. We'll be back with more Monday PFTPM right after this. That uh, is Marshawn Lynch, one of the investors in the Seattle Kraken. And, Mike, it reminded me of a time when he was at Cal, and they won a big game, I think, in overtime. And he got on the cart, and he took the cart for a ride on the field, just like that Zamboni. Listen, we all know the history of Marshawn Lynch getting behind the wheel of something. You put him behind the wheel (laughs) of that, that, that Zamboni. Don't don't give me this slow down stuff. You knew exactly what you're going to get when he gets behind the wheel. So you just got to deal with it. That was great. And uh, Marshawn Lynch still around. And uh, there was some talk that maybe he was going to be involved in the studio show for Thursday Night Football on Amazon this year. And if so, it will be awesome. He was great when he was with the Mannings this past year. Couple of S bombs and F bomb on the way out the door. So I need more Marshawn Lynch in my life. All right, Marcus Mariota. Currently the number one quarterback on the depth chart with the Atlanta Falcons. He said today that if they draft someone, I'll give as much advice and knowledge as I can. That's good. He understands his role. He understands his place if they do draft a rookie quarterback. And we see that every year. There will be a guy who gets signed, and then that guy ends up becoming the eventual backup when the rookie is drafted in round one, if that's what the Falcons do. Who knows what the Falcons will do? But – you know, one year after Mike Vick moved on, they made Matt Ryan the third overall pick in the draft, and I suspect that Arthur Blank is going to want a new franchise quarterback. The question is, how do they feel about the guys who are available? And if not, it'll be Marcus Mariota until further notice. If so, he can stay healthy, that's my big question with him. So I'm looking at, at three teams, Mike, in, in the situation. Atlanta with Mariota, Carolina with Darnold, and Pittsburgh with Trubisky. Do we think any of those three guys – is the quarterback of those teams in the next for the next five years? I, I would find it hard pressed to think anybody thinks any one of them will be. So that's why it wouldn't be shocking for any one of those three teams to draft a quarterback. So if any of those three teams draft a quarterback, they would also be in a position to not have to put them in right away because they have those three guys I just mentioned, and they could let that quarterback, whoever is drafted, sit for a little bit and eventually take over. So that's why I say with Atlanta and Marcus and those other places, Carolina and Pittsburgh as well, I think those are three teams in a position to where they can kind of mix and match with their quarterback because they have a little bit of leeway with the guys they have under contract now. But I think fully knowing not one of those three guys I mentioned is going to be the team's franchise quarterback for the next five, six, seven years. The Falcons clearly will be doing something this offseason in addition to what they've already done. And, Mike, of the three guys you mentioned, I hate to say this because I don't believe it's going to happen, but of the three, I think Mitch Trubisky has the best chance of sticking around Pittsburgh because 
They have a great defense. They have Najee Harris yep. on the front end of his prime years, and they could maybe get more out of Trubisky than what we saw in Chicago. And he went to the playoffs twice in Chicago. People just assume he's, he's a bum. He's not. He's not. And sometimes guys go to a place to start their careers, and it doesn't work. That doesn't mean they are forever done and forever regarded as not a good quarterback. It could be somebody else's fault, whether it's the coach, whether it's the GM, whether it's the owner, whether it's just the teammates, whatever it may be, there's always the possibility a guy's going to get better and maybe it'll be Trubisky. But I don't think Mariota is anything more than a one-year option for the Falcons. The question becomes, do they make the move this year or do they wait until next year or do they make the phone call to the Cardinals to try to get Kyler Murray? I don't think that's going to happen, but... If I'm the Falcons right now, I'm looking at any option I can to make my quarterback position better. Yeah, Listen, I agree. And I agree about Trubisky because you look at Mariota's been on a few teams, so he's had some chances. Uh, And for for Atlanta, Sam Darnold, a lot of people said, well, he needs to get away from the Jets. And he did. And he couldn't hold on to it in Carolina. Not not to say it was the greatest uh, uh, roster there, but at some point you got to still show what you could do, even if the team isn't that good around you. And so Trubisky, now he couldn't show anything, obviously, in Buffalo, be behind Josh Allen. And a lot of people put more on Nagy than on the Trubisky backers say it was more Nagy. Well, now he's going to get a chance because, as you mentioned, you got a hell of a running back. Hopefully, your line will continue to get a little bit better. And you got a hell of a defense. So now we put more on Mitch. So I agree of those three. Mitch, I think, is in the best position to say that last team I was with. That was a fluke. I'm not that guy. It will be better here. We'll see. The New Orleans Saints, another team that may be thinking long-term at the quarterback position. They have Jameis Winston for now. And, you know, uh, the Saints have only ever used a first-round pick on a quarterback twice, Archie Manning in 71 and Dave Wilson via the supplemental draft in 1981. They've never even used a second-round pick on a quarterback. They've got two selections in round one after doing a trade with the Eagles a week or so ago. And uh, Jeff Duncan points out that maybe if they go quarterback in round one, Kenny Pickett would be their guy. And Kenny Pickett's become kind of the mystery player in this draft. Is he going to be the first quarterback? Would he be top 10? Is he going to be top 20? He's got the hand size issue. The Saints would make sense because you're not playing in the elements at home, which could complicate a guy's ability to hold on to the football with wind and rain, et cetera. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if the Saints would pull that trigger. They made that trade with the Eagles for a reason. They got those two picks now between 15 and 20, and maybe if if uh, Pickett is hanging around, that's a guy that they'll make a move on, Mike. I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't do it. I'm sick with Jameis. So we're signing, what, to a two-year deal? He's 28 years old. Again, I'm hanging, I'm hanging on the fact that they kept the continuity of that coaching staff. Before he got hurt, 14 touchdowns, three interceptions. I know he's been a gunslinger and he's throwing interceptions, but he didn't throw them last year. So I'm not ready to take – I'm ready – I would use a first-round pick to help my team right now and see what we could do right now. I I don't know if there's a a quarterback I feel comfortable enough using that first-round investment on, like like we mentioned those other three teams, you know, Atlanta and Carolina and Pittsburgh. I do not put New Orleans with Jameis in that category. There may be a lot of people that disagree with me and don't buy into Jameis, and that's fine. I'm just going off – what I saw with what him do, what, what he was doing last year and how he was growing uh, in that offense last year before he got hurt. So they are nowhere near in the same category as me. And if I'm New Orleans in the first round, I'm not taking a quarterback. Let's take a quick break. Last week, the Washington Commanders were on the wrong side of a 20-page letter from Congress to the Federal Trade Commission that accused the Commanders of some pretty serious financial impropriety. I will summarize their response in one sentence when PFTPM continues right after this. So last week, the U.S. House Oversight and Reform Committee sent a 20-page letter to the FTC alleging multiple financial scams committed by the commanders. The evidence, largely if not exclusively, came from a 24-year former employee of the team known as Jason Friedman. Today, in a response that was sent to the FTC and made public. They sent me a copy of the letter. You can get the link to it at PFT. The lawyer representing the Washington Commanders uh, went all in against Jason Friedman, and I said I would summarize it in one sentence, and I will borrow the opening statement made by the great Vincent LaGuardia Gambini in the film My Cousin Vinny when he said, and I quote, everything that guy said is bull. 
Stop. <laughs> Full beep. <laughs> and that, they, they went after this guy. I mean, they threw everything they had at this guy. Everything. And, and they know they know his lawyer is watching and listening, and I'm suspecting that they are 100% certain that they can make all this stuff stick. They talked about why he was fired and how they later discovered he was having an inappropriate relationship with an intern. I mean, this is all from the letter. This isn't me. Don't sue me. This is all in the letter, Mike. So they are going all in against this guy and saying that these are all lies. He either is making it up or he's not in a position to know and I'm impressed by the move. I always say, if you're innocent, you should shout it from the rooftops. They shouted yeah. it from the rooftops today. They did. That's what you always ask somebody. If you didn't do it, then, then damn well let everybody know. And that's what Washington is doing. So whether they just have a great way to cover it all, all up and don't think they're ever going to get caught, I have no idea. Because this guy certainly presented a whole lot of evidence that, quite honestly, let, let's be honest, if you tried to explain it all, people would turn the channel. People don't, people don't want to get into the muck and the mire of what's going on. But what they do know, and I said this before, is it seems there's a lot of smoke coming out of the Washington commander's house right now. And it continues to pour out. At some point, are we going to get any kind of definitive answer one way or another? Yeah, even if they manage to win on this issue, there's plenty of other smoke yeah. and presumably a fire somewhere. But I was stunned by how strong the letter was, and they may get sued by Jason Friedman, but it sure seems like they've got the goods or they wouldn't have said what they said today. We'll see how that plays out. We got a mailbag or two uh, of questions to answer when PFTPM concludes right after this. Back when I discovered football in the early 70s, Chuck Foreman was my first favorite player, and Twitter will not give him a blue check mark. He's not happy about it. I'm not happy about it, Mike Golick. The guy was the offensive rookie of the year and a five-time Pro Bowler. Twitter, give him a damn blue check mark. I, I, I don't know what the the lines are here of how you get a blue check mark. I, I, listen, I would give him a check mark. You would give him a check mark. I don't know why Twitter won't give him a check mark, but. They obviously have the reasons, and I don't understand that game so much to, you know, rattle their cage to say, make sure he gets the blue check mark. But in my eyes, he's checked. <laughs> I got mine, and I never even had to ask for it. It just showed up one day. It's like, what is this thing? So I don't know how Twitter works, and I don't really <laughs> want to. How about this for another mystery? KPK001. Malcolm Butler re-signed with the Patriots. He said he didn't discuss his history with Bill Belichick. Desperation makes strange bedfellows. It really is strange that these yeah. two find a way back together because it was as ugly as it could have gotten after Super Bowl 52 and Butler became a free agent when he hardly played uh, in Super Bowl 52 when they could have used a defensive back who could maybe cover a receiver or two. Stunning to me that something could have happened so much to where where you could use a guy in the biggest game there is in your sport and you choose to keep on the sidelines. But as you mentioned, desperation could make some interesting moves because now they're reunited. But does it feel so good? <laughs> I got to appreciate the stubbornness. You give up a Super Bowl ring just to prove a point. That's it yeah. for today. Mike, great seeing you. Good stuff. See everybody tomorrow morning.